All right. It's a uh, special uh, Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Swampside news roundup. Hell we yeah. got we got the uh, we got the OG crew from episode one. Welcome That's to the right. swamp. Swamp classic. Two guys, a girl, and a podcast. Hell yeah. And uh, the swamp. <laughs> and the oh swamp. yeah, and the swamp in the background while we we're just like kicking back, you know, drinking out of coconuts. Looking at the swamp and not diving in. <laughs> um, okay, so a few things. I, there's a couple main things I want to hit on. A bunch of stuff around the climate, a little bit around immigration. So let's get started. First of all, um, I want to. I just want to play a clip here from Trump's response to the whole wildfires in California. He showed up on site, and I mean, you know, I'm used to him sounding like a complete uh, demented, you know moron but i've never quite like heard it at this level before i think it's probably because like he didn't like pack his like prescription amphetamines or whatever and he seemed really sedated but um i think uh it just i don't know it, it just the whole moment crystallized something for me so let's just play a little bit of this i think we're all on the same path we do have to do management maintenance and uh we'll be working yeah, also with environmental groups we're all, cooking, we're all cooking the same meth here, people. What, wait, what did he say? Well, I think he meant to say we're all in the same mess, but it sounded like he said we're all in the same meth. <laughs> I thought he said we're all on the same path. I, th okay. I, th I thought he said bath, but I think Jake wins the most charitable. <laughs> Either way, he forgot his prescription of Adderall. And yeah, yeah, something is clearly off. His, his dealer came in late. Really, uh, I think everybody's seen the light. And uh, we, I don't think we'll have this again to this extent. We're going to have to work quickly. But a lot of people are uh, very much, uh, there's been a lot of study going on over the last little while. And I, I, will, I will say, I think you're going to have, hopefully this is going to be the last of, of these, because this was a really, really bad one. These. And I know uh, Gavin's committed. We're all committed. I'm committed to make sure that we get all of this uh, cleaned out and protected. Gotta take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forests. Very important. Uh, you look at other countries where they Okay, yeah. This is where he basically says that um people weren't raking properly and that's why this happened. Wait, what? So Yeah, that's what, that's what that's what he means by the floors. But what what about the floors? Where is he gonna say this? Well what? he was basically saying is they weren't clearing the brush enough and that's why these these wildfires happened. Does he say that? Do it differently, and, and it's a whole different story. I was with the president of Finland, and he said, we have uh, a much different, we're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spent a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. And what it is, it's a very small problem. Uh, oh, my God. So you can rake. Uh, so you can rake the ground of the forest to prevent wildfires? No, yeah, I mean, it's literally... Okay, so we've just been spent two episodes talking about one-dimensional man and one-dimensional wow. thought. <laughs> this is this is, this is yes. the one-dimensional man. Trump is not being very dialectical here. No, Trump really. He is literally incredibly says, undialectical. It's never going to be this bad again because we're going to rake. Honestly, there are some one-dimensional univariate, like, you know, social morons who can't see beyond their moment in history. 
I can understand that raking leaves is uh, not going to prevent forest fires. Yeah, it's obvious that this is related to climate change. It's more dry because it's been fogged up right. in and so therefore there's going to be more wildfires. Like it's not like, that hard to grasp. Like let, let's give let's but give Mar- we were let's give Marcuse's one-dimensional man a little more dignity than this. You know, Marcuse's one-dimensional man could understand that this is because of climate change, but at least capitalism's smart enough to solve climate change. You know, this is an e- this is not even one-dimensional. Yeah. To, gi- to give this the dignity of one whole dimension is too much. <laughs> it's like it's just. It's just, how do I even know, like, non-dimensional well, thought. Like, <laughs> this is literally, no, like, he basically sounds like he doesn't know where he is. Like, he thinks yeah. he's sitting at home watching Fox News and mumbling to himself going, well, you know, if they just rake the floors like they do in other countries, uh, we wouldn't be having problems like this. They don't talk about that in the news, you know? Like, that's, he is such, he is such a product of, like, the right-wing media apparatus that it's this insane, like, Baudrillardian feedback loop that just spirals into an infinity of d- demented, jabbering idiocy. It's amazing. I, I, it is amazing because, especially, like you think that you think that the vanguard of right wing bullshit could come up with a better stammering, you know, half high explanation that. Like he's 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 made some real doozies before, and he's but he's come out full throated, and you know. I've heard like, pe- and the thing is, but like I've heard people talking about. So it happened like on this road that's called like I forget Camp Something Road. So they're calling it the Camp Fire because that's where the fire started. But people uh, keep saying like, "Oh, well, what people can't they gotta control their campfires?" <laughs> like it's not just Trump who thinks this way. That's well, no, thing. no, uh, of course not. But like Trump usually has a f- some full throated bullshit to shout at this. He sounds like he can barely convince himself that he understands this. Yeah. Um, I was hoping on this clip you would also. There's another part where he literally like had the name of the town wrong. It was called like, uh, it's called it was called Paradise, and he's like, it's Pleasure. He's like, what a name, Pleasure. <laughs> face of all this, <laughs> like people literally had to vocally correct him when he was there. Oh anyway, God. I mean, I I wanted to talk about this a little bit just because like, you know, we I remember like around I think last Christmas we were talking about the fires that were going on then, and like now it, in so many respects it's like it's even worse. And it's such like a confluence of like late capitalist bullshit. You have private fire departments like protecting rich people's houses. You have literal slaves being paid like less than two dollars an hour, pulled out of the prison system. Some of whom are actual children. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, no, they they they're pulling people from oh, juvenile no. detention centers to fight these fires, and. You know, and you you have people displaced in, with tent cities and Walmart parking lots where there's like diseases <laughs> and people are getting sick, <sighs> and then getting kicked out of the Walmart parking lots to be sent to, you know, supposedly sent to shelters, but basically just pushed off. Like it's, it it is it is like the ultimate clusterfuck. Meanwhile, you have like <sighs> five thousand troops sitting on the border waiting for a bunch of hitchhikers to walk up and apply for asylum. Oh my god. And and meanwhile the leader of the free world can't get the name of the town right, but it's, it still seems sad and is mumbling sadly like his parents died on his birthday and it was his fault. Like it's just he sounds devastated but for reasons that we could poss- we couldn't possibly understand because it couldn't possibly because be because he has, you know, sympathy for these people. 
It's wild. The point you made about troops waiting at the border, it's like, why isn't he sending the fucking, like, you know, National Guard in to fight this shit? Why are we, like, sending the fucking prisoners in? Like, we should be using the state to its fullest, like, potential to fight this disaster. But it just goes to show how, you know, not even, like, a technocratic statist, like, solution to climate change isn't even on the cards. Like, we're, we're, yeah. we're so royally fucked, like. Yeah, that this. scary. There, there was this point where Chomsky said something along the lines of, you know, the Republican Party in the United States is the most dangerous organization to have ever existed. We're facing a major disaster unless something's done. Now, this alien who's watching us would be astonished, not just at the fact that it's not being discussed, but the fact that in the richest and most powerful country in world history, which is going to shape what happens for the future, there's a major political party, the one that happens to dominate Congress right now, which simply denies that it's happening. They have a policy about global warming. Forget it. It's not happening. Okay? It's hard to find words to describe this. That means that there's in the most powerful country in world history, the most educated, the major advantages, uh, a major political party is saying, let's bring, let's race to the precipice as quickly as possible. Mm. And there's no comment on it. Try to find a comment on that fact. I mean, what it really means is that this is the most dangerous organization in world history. The Republican Party? Take a look. Is that an exaggeration? In the primary, Republican primary, every single candidate said it's not happening, with one exception. Uh, John Kasich, who's supposed to be the sensible moderate, he said, yes, it's happening, but we shouldn't do anything about it, which is worse. So that's 100% refusal. Okay, The winning candidate denies that, it's ha that what's happening is happening and says we should make it worse. We should use more fossil fuels, including coal, which is the most polluting. Uh, we should eliminate environmental regulations. Uh, uh, we should uh, refuse to help poor countries move to sustainable energy as was agreed in the Paris negotiations last year, which he wants to dismantle. So in other words, let's race to the precipice as quickly as possible. Uh, meanwhile, the threat of nuclear war is increasing with very provocative actions on both sides. And there's very little, you know, uh, specialists are concerned, but it's not part of the general kind of conversation. It's not what you talk about with your friends when you go out for a cup of coffee. It's a depressing topic. But maybe the alien would agree that ignorance is bliss? Ignorance is bliss? For a short time, mm -hmm. until it hits. Essentially because this threat is the greatest you know, threat to the entire world that's ever existed. Like, that's actually going to happen. And instead of taking any steps to mitigate it. This is just going to accelerate it in so many words. And when you realize that not even some like bullshit, like carbon market, hey, let's make a game and, and hope people solve the problem indirectly, like that's not even in the cards. It does beg the question, you know, at one point, at what point does some kind of utilitarian calculus come into play here? Like, do, do we have some like duty to try to like get the like limp, liberal like wieners in office so, so that they will like set up a carbon market that will 
make climate change like a half a degree better, maybe. Well, it's funny you should mention that because there were a couple of protests going on that sort of got people's attention. One was in London where they basically kind of did like standard civil disobedience. They shut down some bridges. I think they're calling themselves um, Extinction Rebellion, right? It's like this new movement to just basically try and do direct actions until the government does something about this. But across the English Channel, there was another pro- series of protests um, basically fighting fuel taxes that have been set up precisely to mitigate climate change. And these things are huge. Like, it's called, like, the Yellow Vest Movement because they're all wearing, like, yellow, like, construction worker vests. And it's basically... Jesus, wait, so they're, they're basically... Like, we want to be uh, coal miners, so... <laughs> or whatever, like... Well, no, they're... Um, basically, they're just protesting higher fuel prices uh, that are in there as the result of, like, you know, carbon... Or as a result of, like, taxes designed to mitigate climate change. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And weed the, weed the country out of fossil fuels. And they had they had a protest um, already that, if, you know, like, with hundreds of thousands of people, they're planning on basically shutting down all of Paris, like, on November 24th. In the, in the wake of this, like, Macron's approval ratings are plummeting even further. And, you know, it looks like they basically... And they have, like, widespread popular support in France. So, you know, again, this just kind of, like, further demonstrates, like, you know, when you create these taxes, like, where the companies will just basically displace it onto the consumer market. And that will, uh, you know, cause, like, popular backlash immediately. <laughs> like Yeah, it's just... It just shows a complete ability of neoliberal policy to deal with this because it's always going to fall onto the consumer choice basically it's it always becomes like oh well if you, if you don't like the high fuel prices why don't you invest in getting a hybrid like it, yeah well you you could do you, you could damn, put a you, you damn trolls you know like well you but you could put like carbon taxes just on the production end like and i think in the obama administration like they're you know big old like a big failure like of a climate legislation remember they had you know their wildly successful health care bill and then they had their wildly successful financial reform bill uh and then the, the you know the, the, that triple crown that icing on the cake that was going to solidify his accomplishments some kind of carbon market and that i think was targeted actually on like the production end for all of its faults <laughs> like it's the, the kind of like individual consumerist environmentalism that we see is a great deal more irrational than, you know, like putting market prices on externalities for the businesses. I mean, like we said, nothing like that is in the cards. We're not even at a full dimension. Well, like Exxon, but yeah, or if it, if it does happen, like the amount that the carbon taxes is so wildly low that it's effectively meaningless, you know, like even like Exxon Mobil came out in favor of carbon taxes, but they want it to be like at $40 a ton or something like that. It's, I mean, it's absolutely nothing. And so, you know, and the thing is too, as soon as that has a depressive effect on markets, there's going to be, again, further calls just to get rid of it. You know, I mean, they're really, they're like, it, it is becoming clear, like on a systemic level and in terms of a like individual, you know, political mismanage, right-wing political mismanagement level, that this is the case. Like, I really do feel very, very strongly that the global, the global capitalist class is, like, making this right-wing turn. Which, I mean, you know, we talk about decadence theory, and we've kind of landed on this idea that it was in the 70s, but I kind of feel like there actually is maybe something to the idea that it was in, like, the ICC, like, 1919 uh, point. Because if you look at that, like, after that, 
you kind of see like the capitalist class like consistently turn to fascists to solve kind of whatever problem, major problem, or in terms of social order or whatever that they have, right? In the early 20th century, that was the workers' movement, or that was the Soviet Union. Um, you know, in the in the mid to late 20th century, that was national liberation movements or national liberation movements with socialist characteristics, right? But now it just seems like, you know, now what, the, what they're desperate to get rid of is basically like the last vestiges of like the old liberal protections, you know, of the environment of or this, that or whatever. And, you know, and to do that, to do that, they appeal to like revonkist, you know, like social ideas, you know, and it's and where it isn't like literally anti-Semitic, it's still structurally anti-Semitic. Like, look, look at how much moral panic they've ginned up over, you know, instead of the Jew, it's like the pink haired college lesbian. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Judith Butler actually has some work about the commonalities between Jews and queers and rhetoric, which kind of makes sense to Jewish queers like me and Judith Butler. Oh, yeah. I mean, I made the same comparison that you hear about, oh, you know, like a lot of the basically thinly veiled, like, anti-queer rhetoric that you hear from some socialists that it's, it's basically like, you know, it's it's it how they argue that oh the left needs to become more conservative on gender issues it's just getting out of control and we need to appeal to you know normal people more often and it's it's like saying in like the bolshevik party in like in early 1900s yeah like we're scaring off like too many conservative workers by like letting too many jews <clears throat> in our ranks and one of my favorite instantiations of this structural anti-semitism thing was an israeli prime uh, excuse me an israeli member of parliament basically was using the Jewish conspiracy argument about, you know, blank groups domination of the media, but with queers. Is this like hard right, like Israeli parliamentarian going off about queer domination of the media? And it's like, what? This is the twilight zone. But to go back to what you're saying, Jake, about decadence, Nixon signed the order to create the Environmental Protection Agency. Like there was a, you know, like the post-war consensus and the, the high mark of liberalism hadn't even really happened by the time that the ICC, uh, the International Communist Current, you know, says that all bourgeois progress has been exhausted. Like, right. there was, well, 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 what I'm saying is that, you know, yes, that was true in the United States, but in the third world, we still turn to sort of right wing reaction like or in dictators and all sorts of shit all the time. My point is like that. It seems like that's the point that whenever the capitalist class found itself into a jam, like it turns to this like kind of modern form of fascism, you know, and now it, instead of it being like like, you know, a left of either armed or, you know, or militant working class it's just like the remaining vestiges of like liberal civil society yeah it's like what what rights that uh, women and people of color have gained through the 20th century they ideologize that being their loss and so or look at like bolsonaro wants to basically clear the rainforest in like this like suicidal bid for a little bit further capital accumulation like in in so that, that's kind of that's kind of what i'm thinking of here well, I think, actually, I was reading Polonsis recently, and he kind of makes a similar argument that what we're seeing, and he says this in, like, the, the late 70s, but essentially what we're seeing is a tendency for towards what he calls authoritarian statism, which isn't the same thing as fascism, but rather it's more of a kind of the political parties 
become more and more hollowed out from their base and civil society becomes more and more hollowed out. And so the whole legislative aspect of the state becomes less and less powerful. And then what this leads to is the powering of the bureaucracy and the executive over the legislative. And so these become the more powerful parts of the state. And so essentially what you have is this tendency of, of states become more authoritarian and bureaucratic and, uh, and essentially more anti-democratic and simply just be these armed institutions that execute market policies and maintain social cohesion as much as is slightly necessary. There's one more thing. Okay, the one th- last thing on the climate that I want to hit on. Um, so apparently the Philippine Commission on Human Rights is holding hearings in London to determine who is morally responsible for climate change and to try to imagine like a framework for essentially like basically legally seeking monetary compensation for the damages to their country right and i think what they see it seems to be kind of in some ways one it's sort of a moralistic publicity stunt but it's also maybe kind of an intellectual exercise to understand like how you could process like compensation and pin specific responsibility for climate change right because a lot of the way that it works you know in you know again what debord might call like a diffuse spectacle you don't ha- you don't have you know one state that's responsible for everything. You have all these different firms and their externalities that they're not responsible for, or can't take responsibility for. So for something like, like climate change that's so kind of abstract and totalizing around the globe, how do you? We know that a certain ha- that these companies are responsible, but how much and how, right? So that's what they're trying to figure out. But it also shows like the limits of like you know the capitalist legal system's capacity to deal with something like that. Like it doesn't even exist. Well, yeah, and it's just this is such a systematic thing. It's a climate change is a prop property of aggregate behaviors of actors all across the world. I mean, you can say that there was climate change at the earliest time of humanity. We've always existed in a feedback loop of our environment, and so it's just the entire human species is guilty. You want to try to assign guilt? Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, but obviously, obviously, the capitalist class has more guilt that should be assigned to it. But in the right. end, like we haven't overthrown them, so we're still guilty. <laughs> no, I mean, th- think think about the tremendous productive apparatus that capitalism built at the same time as it was creating this tremendous ability to dominate nature. It was also creating a tremendous ability to dominate the rest of humanity <laughs> like and that we, we are part of the nature that they're dominating because they're gods and we're animals you know this is that's how class society really works well one thing that kind of struck me about this i thought it was interesting because you often hear libertarians kind of float this out like i remember when ron paul was running for president and some of the debates he would float out this idea of like well if we just let the if we just let uh people sue companies for climate change like that would resolve the whole problem because you know, they would begin to cost them so much that they couldn't continue to do business, you know, like, yeah. but it, but uh, the problem is it, you know, under a capitalist system, anyone who ha- can basically can afford better lawyers wins in every case, you know, this is why like rich people can literally get away with murder. Hey, I, I have an idea. Let's, let's as a, as a class of humanity sue all of the holders of property that is responsible for climate change and let's settle it out of court wink <laughs> i mean the thing is like you know since we're all judeo bolsheviks like you know we we should probably be able to find a good lawyer so i feel like you know i feel like we maybe have a shot at this thing yeah, my aunt in new york knows a guy <laughs> <laughs> okay 
So uh, let's yeah, let's. Just, you know, we got a comrade who studied law. We'll have, we'll have some good strong bullshit. Uh, 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 I can't honestly. I can't wait till he like gets his law degree and just becomes like our better call Saul, like, <laughs> dude that we can just ask like I, just I, whatever want of crazy shit we want to try and get away with, dude. It's gonna be the shit. I think we have a couple um, comrades that are looking to study law. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they somehow like survive the like the piece of shit brainwashing that they subject you to and turn you into like a scumbag. But I mean, yeah, I mean, here's over. Yeah, that's, I don't. That's I don't our know. job as peers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep, we can't. We keep can't. The communist peer pressure alive. You know, we got. We got to keep him on the communist plantation. That's right. That's what we got to do. <laughs> oh Jesus, Jake. Although I have to say, the LSAT. It's it's. I think. Um, the future communist party should expropriate the LSAT because of its ability to do um, practical, like critical thinking stuff. Like instead of just learning formal logic, like y- you might need as a computer scientist, it teaches you a pragmatic form of like uh, argumentative logic and like debate that is pretty much essential for persuasion or even just like being able to parse someone else's persuasion and finding a weakness in an argument. Holy shit! I'm now really interested in studying the LSAT just for. You should fun. like we we should. <laughs> I mean, I I actually like that kind of shit, so we should. Like, I always make an argument that like one big part of communism is basically just convincing people that communism is right. And so, if you really think about it, like the success of communism in a way depends on our ability to form really good fucking arguments and then expose them to as much people as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, for, formal logic gets you pretty far, but if, if you really want to do the kind of persuasion that political actors can do, that's where you would look. If only if only computer science knowledge helped you to have a not completely bad shit insane understanding of gender. All right, moving on. Um, what could you possibly mean by that, Jake? <laughs> so, uh, let's get to the like one of the main things we're going to talk about. So, apparently, like... Uh, I think just today, like an article came out from uh, by uh, Angela Nagel called uh, "The Left Case Against Open Borders." Oh, good! That oh oh wow, really? So so uh, oh yeah. Listen, yeah, I told y'all, I told y'all she sucks. I, I I saw her shadiness from the beginning. I knew that she was yeah. a social conservative, and you can tell by reading her book. Sh- shut shut up! Doug Lane's gonna block us again. <laughs> so Donald, Donald, you read this thing. Like, give me the hits. Give me the hits. What? What? <sighs> All right. Well, first, I just kind of wanted to go over how she begins it because it's really fucking stupid. So, the case against open borders, AmericanAffairsJournal.org by Angela Nagel. Before build the wall, there was tear down this wall. In his famous 1987 speech, Ronald Reagan demanded that the scar, quote unquote, of the Berlin Wall be. So she's actually kind of soft tanky. Berlin Wall be removed and insisted that the offending restriction of movement it represented amounted to nothing less than a question of freedom for all mankind. He wanted to say that those who, quote, refused to join the community of freedom, unquote, would, quote, become obsolete, unquote, as a result of the irresistible force of the global market. And so they did. In celebration, Leonard Bernstein directed a performance of Ode to Joy and Roger Waters to form the wall. Barriers to labor and capital came down all over the world. The end of history was declared, and decades of U.S. dominant globalization followed. Not, not one of Roger Waters' better moments. Just want to say that. Yeah, you know, 
No, you know what? Fuck that. No, actually, I would say, I would say that the reunification of Germany, like that moment of tearing down autarky, is something that is like inherently like I have to say like. Well, Alexa, you know that there important. were like pogroms and like Jews uh, murdered. No, when oh, oh no, no, it was horrible socially. Like, but this is the kind of thing that Karl Marx says needs to be torn the fuck up before communism is ever even a possibility. This is what he means by battering down every Chinese wall. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a whole argument to be had about the Berlin Wall, but I would just first begin by saying that I think it's ridiculous to compare it to, what you know, Trump's imaginary wall. And kind of this, what she's trying to say is that communists actually like walls. And one, like the Berlin Wall was oppressive. I'm not denying that. Inch, let's just move on. It says in its 29 year in 29 year existence, around 140 people died attempting to cross the Berlin Wall. In the promised world of global economic freedom and prosperity, 412 people died crossing the U.S.-Mexican border last year alone. So there, she contradicts herself right here already by like trying to compare the U.S. border wall with the Berlin Wall. And more than 3,000 died the previous year in the Mediterranean. The pop songs and Hollywood movies about freedom are nowhere to be found. What went wrong? I mean, so far this doesn't sound that bad. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like she's basically saying like, you know, more people are dying on the U.S.-Mexican border than the Berlin Wall, and there isn't the same level of moralizing about it. And, I mean, there has been a good. There has been a good level of liberal moralization about it, but just not at the state, and not at the scale that you would expect, given how much people were rejoicing about the, the you know, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Anyway, yeah. So she's basically she's trying to make this comparison to the Berlin Wall and the U.S. Berlin Wall, but she's basically, well, I think, in trying to make this comparison, she is saying, well, the Berlin Wall wasn't oppressive, and neither does the border wall between any nation have to be oppressive can actually be a good thing in that in fact this idea of walls being bad is really just this neoliberal idea that you know labor needs to move freely and capital needs to move freely and so she says later on well no serious political party of the left is offering concrete proposals for a truly borderless society and i mean that is true there's not a communist party there's not a common term but you know some of us are working at it you aren't by embracing the moral arguments of the open borders left and economic arguments of free market think tanks, the left has pointed itself into a corner. If, quote, no human is illegal, unquote, as a protest chant goes, the left is implicitly accepting the moral case for no borders or sovereign nations at all. God forbid that the left <laughs> are accepting a moral case against oh borders and sovereign nations. Well, God okay. forbid. So, so, that, this, so that's my problem. So that's my problem there, right? Right there, right there. See that? Well, let's, yeah. listen to this turn, though. But what implications will unlimited migration have for projects like universal public health care and education or a federal jobs guarantee? Because that's the you know, ultimate economic emancipation you can hope for. And how will progressives convincingly explain these goals to the public? Well, yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. If this was an article about, like, the problems of liberals, you know, and you pointing out the sort of the the antagonism between like the bernie sanders vision of progressivism and the actual need for like a communist society 
Yes. This would this would this would not be objectionable. Yeah, but, there are many things about the liberal discourse on immigration that are very just stupid. Like the whole oh, immigration's great, taco trucks in every street corner, because you know, apparently all brown <laughs> people are to you is a taco truck. <laughs> like yeah, come on, fucking liberals. Like, there's horrible discourse from liberals on immigration. They don't no, that's an intended to- inversion on something uh, Trump said. Or something one of Trump's like supporters said, or something along those lines. But it ends up sounding racist anyway. Yeah, but it, you know, it's a way to sound. So, oh, I love uh, you know Mexican culture. Open the border. It's just like, dude, you're anyway. So she then goes on to say that the left are basically quote you know useful idiots for the Koch brothers. She she basically makes a whole like. Bernie Sanders arguing that Koch brothers is I mean, no, that, um, open borders is a is this a right wing idea. Yeah, Koch brothers, and then she brings up the, the you know she she says from the first law restricting immigration in 1882 to Caesar Chavez and the famously multi ethnic United Farm Workers protesting against employers' use of internal illegal illegal immigration in 1969, trade unions have often opposed mass migration. So her argument is because trade unions have opposed mass migration, therefore it's a leftist thing to do. When she's not understanding that this was, first of all, the trade unions in the United States were infamously like chauvinistic and, and exclusive to her skilled male workers. Okay, now here, here, this, this is one, this is one dimensional thought right here. This is, <laughs> this is a, a full single dimension because she can consistently point out. That if you, if you like nationalist socialism like me, okay, then you have to exclude people from our fabulous universal welfare state. Yes, exactly. She, she's saying that basically the way for workers to win is to be loyal to their bosses, a.k.a. the nation state. Well, it's interesting because like she, like she is barely – when she looks at the left – she really is kind of looking at like the kind of the mainstream like DSA style left, right? Like that's what she's looking at. She's not looking at like the voices like further further out, you know, where it's correct. <laughs> she's not you know, interested I, in that. Yeah, who exactly. And so like it, this kind of reminds me of how like Sam Harris or somebody will be like I, t- I talked to a leftist like um I don't even know, like some some mainstream dipshit. And and they they think that that person's like far left, complete like someone who's even like to the center of like Cornell West or somebody like that, right? Like so like it's there. I mean yes, uh, as you can you can point to the Bernie Sanders and the DSA styles left's position on, or the right wing of the DSA's position on immigration and find contradictions. But the conclusion she takes it is in like this right wing direction where it's like, yeah, we have to be for we have to be against immigration and for border security in order to create, you know, like a national welfare state that benefits Americans. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, she's ba- it's basically Bannonism is what it is. If you think about it, it's just, she's basically arguing that if you want to have a strong labor movement, you have to have economic nationalism. But this is completely ignoring that, like. The United States, when you know the IWW was at its height, was also when you had a lot of immigration, and that the height of class struggle in the United States was actually when immigration was relatively unrestricted. And so, there's if you are looking at this from a Marxist perspective, of we want to promote internationalist class struggle, we want to unite workers of the world. It makes no sense 
to support border control because part of this composition of an international proletariat that can struggle at an international level is through the flow of labor across nations. And there are many really good studies that show the process of immigration creating a radicalized class consciousness. But then it gets even cringier in this article because... Can, can I just interject, just interject really quick, really quick? This this is kind of pointing to again like the the labor piece of like the fifties and sixties as like the ideal era of like trade union power. No, it was before that. You know, it was it was in the radical era before the reds the red scare. You know, and because that era of the labor piece was what um, fucked them over. You know, they didn't win the class war. They lost they lost the peace. And that's that that economic nationalism is precisely what undermined their capacity to pose a radical alternative to the capitalist class and organize in a way that's that right. would build up the power of the working class and secure its long term interests. Yeah, it wasn't just the the company's pocketbook and you know the CEO that was quivering. It was the entire state was quivering at the power of the international working class. And, and yeah, and it was and it was exactly because you had this free flow of labor. And which which meant that you know for labor example, you would right you would have yeah labor. free flow of labor and so this is the where we have to take out our scalpel and say oh, yes there's the labor capital dyad yes there's self reinforcing blah 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 but we are for freedom of labor or but freedom of capital on the other hand we sh- that is something we're open I'm open to discussing freedom of capital let's talk about the unfreedom of capital let's talk about restricting movement of capital let's talk about you know right yeah but that that has to be it has to be an international effort so that you know there's nowhere to run so anyway so she cites these economistic trade unions in the united states which committed you know in my opinion these were scabbing they were scabbing on the working these were unions scabbing on the working class she takes their example and then she goes to Karl marx and tries to use Karl marx to justify her position and so she quotes this saying that Marx argued that the importation of low-paid Irish immigrants to England forced them into hostile competition with English workers. He saw it as part of a system of exploitation which divided the working class and represented an extension of the colonial system. He wrote, this is Marx, Owing to the constantly increasing concentration of leaseholds, Ireland constantly sends her own surplus to the English labor market and thus forces down wages and lowers the material and moral position of the English working class. And all most important and most important of all, every industrial and commercial center in England now possesses a working class divided into two hostile camps, English proletarians and Irish proletarians. The ordinary English worker hates the Irish worker as a competitor who lowers the standard of life. In relation to the Irish worker, he regards him as a member of the ruling nation Consequently, he becomes a tool of the English aristocrats and capitalists against Ireland, thus strengthening their domination over himself. He cherishes his religious, social, and national prejudices against the Irish worker. His attitude towards him is much the same as that of poor whites to the Negroes in the former slave states of the USA. The Irishman pays him back with interest in his own money. He sees the English worker both the accomplice and the stupid tool of the English rulers in Ireland. This antagonism is artificially kept alive and intensified from the press, pulpit, and comic papers, in short, by all means of the disposal of the ruling classes. This antagonism is the secret impotence of the English working class, despite its organization. It is the secret by which the capitalist class maintains its power, and the latter is quite aware of this. Now, I just want to say right now, I have never actually seen a worse use of this passage from Marx 
justify shitty politics. Because if you can fucking read, you can fucking tell <laughs> that Marx is saying that the chauvinism of the English worker towards the Irish worker is artificially kept in live by the press, the pulpit, the comic papers. It is disposable of the ruling class. He's literally saying that the fact that English workers are chauvinistic towards the Irish workers is the cause of division. He doesn't say immigration itself is the cause of this division. He says that the working class has to unify across this division. <sighs> Isn't she Irish? Yeah, she's Irish. And she's, what the she's, fuck? She's in. <laughs> and so... Basically, Marx's conclusion is, and is what she leaves out is that the English workers need to support Irish national liberation and support the Irish workers and fight against Irish anti-Irish chauvinism. He says nothing about supporting border control as a solution to the problem. Yeah, this is just dumbfounding. I don't and think so, I've ever heard anything stupider from Angela Nagel, and yeah, that's and like then, I mean, that's a tall order. No, 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 yeah, no. I, I understand, but it's not like she s- cites someone being like, you know, gender is a social construct, and says, "See, gender isn't a social construct." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, like she did some dumb shit in that book, but this is so, amazing. Um, yeah, and then she argues that you know the human cost of globalization means that uh, these um, immigrants are leaving their countries, and that's bad for their development, and they should stay in those countries and make those countries great. And so she's brilliant. global wealth that's and brilliant, global brilliant wealth economy is a primary push driving mass immigration, and the globalization of capital cannot be separated from this matter. So what's your solution? Obviously, the solution to global wealth economy wealth and economy is having some kind of global centralized planning but for her the only thing that she can imagine is we just have to keep these people from moving here so they stay in their countries and work there and develop their capital but that's great that's great economics michael roberts beware yeah, yeah. michael out. roberts watch out this is you know this and is so she basically like, nationalism. You know, it's like she, it's like some pretty hard economic well, nationalism oh yeah she's embracing bandanism like economic nationalism and then she, she pulls the whole, this is what's really funny, and she says, As the child of migrants, and someone who has spent most of my time in a country with persistently high levels of emigration, Ireland, I've always viewed the migration question differently than my well-intentioned friends on the left and large, world-dominating economies. So she's literally using standpoint epistemology to justify yeah. her position. You don't understand my Irish essence. Dumb, it's I- like... As a, da- as a daughter of Ireland, the country that produced the first slaves, I understand what it means. <laughs> yeah, just oh my god! Like, oh my god! And then she basically says that, like you know, the left they have no real materialist arguments against for for. Well, the thing is, like the left, we're not really arguing for open borders because we realize that's not going to happen under capitalism. We're arguing for a borderless world, and that's you know the real problem with open borders according to Nagel is that you know, oh well it's just undermining national sovereignty and the only realistic way for the workers to defend their needs is by siding with national sovereignty against workers of other countries there is and something so, that, uh, there is something that stings about all this though and that when she says we don't have an alternative to like to these this whole like one-dimensional policy spectrum we don't have a, an alternative to the bourgeois state and we we, we need one we need one. Like, there is we, an alternative position, which is just that um, you know, we give all immigrant citizenship. Like, we right, right. So, but, so, okay, but so we do want open borders as far as like dictatorship of the proletariat is concerned. Like, what, I mean, you know, I think that like, even right now, something that the capitalist class and demand we could fight for 
is universal citizenship. So that way, you know, you, you think about yeah. Like this. So, so we want that, open borders. The, I, this is why I, you know, I want open borders. Like the reason that immigrants are able to push down wages is because they right. can work they're, for lower wages. They're locked out of the wage pool, basically. So if you get rid of that illegal status, you can't hire them for lower wages using the threat of deportation. And so that completely eliminates the, you know, that, that aspect. Of well, it, it mostly eliminates. It doesn't completely because it adds, it expands the labor pool, which creates a, more of a glut in the labor market. So, but I, I hear what you're saying, but that, that's not, that's not like the, that, that, that can't like. That's like one we, step. Is all we, right. We have the one dimensional thought of, okay, I watch MSNBC and Fox news and these are the political options. You know, like, and so there's that. And so as far as that's concerned, yeah, we're for, we're so for open borders. We want to just destroy the concept of borders altogether. Like, that's like our galaxy brain version of open borders, basically. Do we want to talk about her proposed solutions? <clears throat> what? Oh, God. Yeah, um, this is her, hold on, let me find her proposed solutions. You know, there's nothing wrong with the Roman salute, really. With so. respect to illegal immigration, the leftist support efforts to make e-verify mandatory and push for stiff penalties on employers who fail to comply. Employers, not immigrants, should be the primary focus of enforcement efforts. So that ignores mm. the fact that if you yeah. have Fuck lost an employer, you also have lost their workers. These employers take advantage of immigrants who lack ordinary legal protection. Hmm. Maybe if we gave them those legal protections. In order to perpetuate a race to the bottom in wages, also evading payroll taxes and the provision of other benefits. Such incentives must be eliminated if any workers are to be treated fairly. Trump famously complained about people coming from third-world shithole countries and suggested Norwegians as an example of ideal immigrations. The Norwegians did once come to America in large numbers, and they were desperate and poor. Now that they have a prosperous and relatively egalitarian social democracy built on public ownership of natural resources, they no longer want to. Ultimately, the motivation for mass migration will persist as long as the structural problems underlying it remain in place. So basically, she's saying what you know a lot of alt-right people say is, "Oh, like you know, why don't these immigrants just stay in their country and, and make those countries great?" I mean, yeah, what she. I mean, the most charitable thing you could say about the end is she's basically saying that, you know. Well, she basically says we need to like pose NAFTA, take on the financial system that funnels capital away from the developing world. Into inequality heightening asset bubbles in rich countries, blah blah blah, uh, bad and the bad American foreign policy. Oh, which is true, and all yeah, but the all right the people all say world. that. They all point yeah. out that like our you know the, what they call Jewish wars are part of what causes. Immigration. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we listen we, to these all right people, which apparently Angela Nagel has been doing quite a bit of. <laughs> yeah, she's been palling around with them. I mean, and blowing to me, off the, to me the this leftist. sounds like I guess I don't follow all right stuff as closely, but to me this sounds like her basically taking. Bernie Sanders' notions about immigration and polemicizing for them. Like, this sounds like, I mean, maybe it's Bannonism too, but, you know, maybe there's some horseshoe function going on here. But this sounds for basically sure. like like explicating kind of what was implicit in Bernie Sanders' statements vis-a-vis immigration and an American um, sort of New Deal-style politics. Well, you know what? I'm glad she did that, actually, now that, now that you put it that way, because when you look at it, you see how fucking fashy it is and how nationalist socialism gets you to a certain place. And e- even, if, even if you add, hey, listen, I want all these countries to be separate but equal, you know? Let's have everyone have a nice, you know, great, like a really great ethno state, you know? So they, so they don't want to have to come here. And 
But if all the countries are equal, what's the point of having borders in the first place? Right? Well, I'm glad you asked that. It's to keep all of our our stable exactly, traditions exactly. in line. It and comes yeah. down to cultural conservatism and wanting to maintain a particular culture right. against the universal. In the end, it's because Nagel is a social conservative. Yeah. And it shows in Kill All Normies, and it shows in here. And she tries to use pure Marxist rhetoric to justify her position. But really, once you break it down enough, it becomes clear that it's just social conservatism. And yeah. this idea that we can use this anti-immigration wave to the advantage of the left somehow. See, which is I, just... I, I, I find the social conservative, like, you know, quote leftists, very difficult. Because, like, I think that the left makes a big mistake... By declaring cultural revolution on absolutely everything. However, you have to be very targeted about the oppressive institutions that you do challenge and try to work them into every cultural context you're in. And this is exactly the kind of like contrarian leftist position where you just end up embracing a bunch of reactionary social norms. That yeah. makes that makes a revolution impossible. This is this this is what destroys the working class. When people say that like you know, feminism or like identity politics and like race divide the working class and prevent a revolution. They're right, but they're right backwards. They're right because no one in their right mind would cooperate with these people. Like no, no one would want, I would no, I would not want to try to build fucking, you know, a socialist movement with somebody like this. Like it, it, this is alienating. This is weird. And it's just, God, we, we really are like, People basically, what happened is that people realize that this post-structuralist culturalism in politics is an issue. And they want to fix this issue, rightfully so. You know. Um, right. All right. We're good. We're but with the you problem so far. is, is that the only way they can think of fixing this issue is by making the left more socially conservative as a selection mechanism to keep the social justice warriors out, which is just yeah, that's... a horrible direction to be going in. And we're really mm-hmm. seeing this terrifying dialectic between. You know, rad libs and socially conservative socialisms. Well, if this little ranted segment wasn't enough, look, consider this. She debated Sargon of Akkad, and Jason Unruh did a better job <laughs> taking down his arguments than she did. So there's some other people, um, actually, who are concerned about immigration. Uh, I'm just going to... A little article, a little, little cut from NPR. Yeah. Uh, sh- shouting Mexico first, <laughs> hundreds in Tijuana march against migrant caravan. Oh, my God. Yeah, I heard all about this. It's really disturbing. The message for the migrant caravan was clear for marchers on Sunday in Tijuana, Mexico. We don't want you here. Quote, we want the caravan to go. They're invading us, said Patricia Rees, a 62-year-old protester hiding from the sun under umbrella. They should have come into Mexico correctly, legally, but they came in like animals. Um, Demonstrators held sign reading, no illegals, no to the invasion, and Mexico first. Many wore the country's red, white, and green national soccer jersey and, and vigorously waved Mexican flags. The crowd often slipped at a chance of Tijuana and Mexico. They sang the national anthem several times. The march is a foreboding sign for the migrants who have formed caravans across Mexico in hopes of reaching the United States. Many, but not all, the migrants have come to Tijuana, which borders San Diego, to request asylum in the U.S. They come from, uh, primarily from Honduras, although they are from other Central American countries. A number of asylum seekers say they can't return home after receiving threats from street gangs such as MS-13 and the 18th Gang, as well as threats from government figures in their countries. 
While the protesters numbered only a few hundred, in a city of more than 1.6 million, vitriol against the migrants has spread across social media in Tijuana in recent days. And it's just some social media comments. Uh, they should create concentration and deportation camps with federal funds, wrote one commenter on Facebook who organized the march. Tijuana is a place that welcomes everyone, but you must have papers. You must identify yourself. We work hard here. We don't get handouts. The government shouldn't be giving things to migrants, and plenty of Mexicans are in a difficult position. Um, many in, in Tijuana, however, are angered by the demonstrators' anti-immigrant sentiment. Fuck racists, shouted a man from a street corner. Stay it to my face, a protester yelled back. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, yeah, this is the internet come to life. Uh, this is not what Tijuana is like, cried an elderly woman. All migrants are welcome here. Um, police kept the migrants uh, inside the shelter to avoid conflict. I mean, Tijuana's Christ mo- almighty. Yeah. Workers this of the is- world, fight amongst yourselves. Well, this reminds me of what Jay Sakai says in, in that thing you wrote on fascism, how fascism is, you know, now that we live in a post-colonial world of independent nation states, fascism can exist anywhere. Any people can be fascist and ultra-reactionary, and it just goes to show, you know? Yeah, people can develop these ultra-nationalist positions in a way that, you know— I don't know. I don't know if the word fascism is the name for this, you know, abstraction from you know the kind of reaction you see in World War II. I don't care particularly, but there's a specific political position that we can all recognize it's as being hard, hard xenophobia, hard yeah. chauvinism, like you know, a desire to repeal the existing protections, the existing progressive things that are there. Like no, that, just, that goes just... beyond conservatism. It just seems like also a lot of these people are probably seeing the kind of shit Americans are seeing on the internet, and mm-hmm. they're just mimicking the reactionary Americans who yeah are all over the media. The sad uh, truth is, within Latin American communities, there are like you know subracial hierarchies oh, or yeah, whatever. Like, no, but this is like, this is the place where race was created through Spanish colonialism, really, and the whole idea of these race hierarchies comes from. Uh, the whole colonial era yeah there's all kinds of weird racial it's almost like a multi-layered it was no it was very elaborate i think the formal term is in spanish like it's just it's a cognate for caste yeah yeah it's a a racial caste it is literally a racial caste system like elements of that like in america you have more just like a pure kind of whiteness developed yeah you have a dyad of white non-white yeah but yeah, I mean, thankfully, thankfully, it does sound like this protest was very small and that this is an extremely vocal minority. And, you know, I'm sure you can go into any Facebook forum somewhere and find someone saying some shitty things. But, you know, it is important to remember that nationalism, wherever you are, breeds this kind of shit. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it, the United States is you know worse about it in a lot of ways, but it isn't just us. And that's why we need, you know, international uh International solidarity between the working class. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise you cede to the world to these, you cede the world to like these red hat. See, yeah, we don't try and co-op their arguments. You cede, you don't cede the world to like these mag- red hat wearing chuds, who you know basically have nothing else to be proud of but the fact that they were born somewhere. And they, you know, they like the football team from that area or whatever. Yeah, but, but Angela Nagel said that th- it's a good idea to try to, uh, uh, <laughs> to attract these people. These are the people that we want, Jake. These are the normies. Okay? This, well, and, right? and the is, thing is, is, is that like good these, strategy? This these is strategy. These people protesting the caravan, they're, they're, you know, they're, 
they're probably working hard to make great social democracy in Mexico. So yeah. they're still <laughs> yeah. leave Mexico. All, all they want <laughs> is, is that they just want a functioning universal welfare state. They don't take handouts, though. <laughs> so, you know, it's been... Um, been a rough while watching you know watching the world go to hell in a handbasket and you know thanksgiving's coming up maybe we could just go around and say what we're thankful for what we are thankful for yeah we could uh, be we could be thankful i mean i, I just like go- to say i'm thankful for our fans i mean oh uh, my god people who still listen to us i don't know what's wrong with you but just glad that you find this stuff interesting and yeah I, spreading the word i i've had like you know like I've had conversations with people like just saying like I can't believe that something that I was basically doing more or less as therapy, you know, just like casting it out to the void. We didn't even really use the Google broadcast feature, the Google Hangouts like broadcast feature. We were just using it to record and it more or less felt like we were just shooting it into the void, just talking about these things that were frustrating us. We've been talking online for so long about and we'd somehow hung out hung around while the struggle sessions like by process of elimination knocked people out <laughs> and <laughs> split them and somehow we managed to stay on decent yeah. enough terms where if we didn't you know if, if maybe we weren't like the best friends but we didn't like hate each other and we could persist in the same social grouping Let's just say that left book has like a selection mechanism of spontaneous struggle sessions and callouts, and somehow we've all been able to stick together through these. Yeah. For all this shit, that's, and, that's and, impr- and, I'm thankful for that. I'm I'm thankful for that, and, and like that's that, but that it was really that that motivated me to do this, and I realized that we did some good for people, and that I'm immensely grateful. For everyone that like got something out of this, something that I was doing more or less selfishly, like or, or you know, this is the invisible hand at work, people. I was just doing what was best for myself, and, and apparently that's the virtue of selfishness. That's right. We're all brandy no, 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 no. right. I came in this. I came into this as a soldier for world communism, completely selfless, inspired by the spirit of my new <laughs> calling to, to, to preach to you all the correct ways of communism and, <laughs> and spread correct civic virtues of socialism and the uh, ideal human spirit that we should, you know, all drive towards i don't think it's lost on anyone that we there's a therapeutic value to what we're doing here oh yeah totally like, but yeah i'm, I'm great I, did, I didn't have y'all to shoot the shit with every week i don't know i'm going crazy <laughs> yeah it's been it's a it's made me able to like develop a part of myself that you know i would basically have lost touch with once i moved away from like you know like crank left circles that are out in like california or whatever and uh, instead, I get to develop it and, like, talk to a bunch of really interesting people, not just with you, but, you know, people that, for some reason, like us. And, yeah, and, and, and we um, have an awesome fan base. I, mean, I love talking to our fans on the Discord channel. Yeah, we have an incredible fan base. A lot and of cool people. I call them fams because they're more than fans. They're fans. All right. They're, we we don't always agree on everything, but, you know, we can all... Have an argument and well, well, I'm. I just want to say I'm particularly thankful for uh, having met uh, Sophia. She's uh, really amazing. Hi, Sophia. Anyway. Oh. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Getting, I'm getting some sentimentalism up in here. I'm incredibly grateful. So. <laughs> not really. Like. <clears throat> this. Like, <laughs> 
pretty much the entire time I've been on left book, you know, my life has been insane. And I don't know, things are starting to even out a little bit. And basically, like, putting this together with y'all has had a big part in grounding that. So I'm thankful to you all as well. Yeah, and we got Cosmonaut now. We're starting to get into publication world where we're breaking through yeah. we're bringing our message to the masses oh and, and i'm grateful to the like podcast heroes like of of mine and ours that have like i don't know not only have been like cool with us but like actually appreciate what we're doing like uh derek and tom like that's that's been a real inspiration to me um yeah i've got a lot shout out to the antifada people oh my god surprisingly know who we are <laughs> like know who we are and and like are like promote us yeah promote us like that's that's incredibly flattering and we think that's the coolest thing ever also um we started listening to a podcast called general intelligence unit that's yes. uh, you know those also don't donate also donating as antifada are and you know wow you know, quality podcasts. Holy yeah, shit. Do you like the idea of scientific socialism? That's a good podcast. General yeah. intelligence unit. Yeah. So shit, I'm grateful. God damn. I I I'm actually I'm I brought this up because I'm grateful for something. You know, like recently, <laughs> you know, we've been looking into the face of a ecological apocalypse. You know, they're talking about covering the skies in clouds to try and save off global warming somehow. And, you know, you really, you get down on the possibility for progress and for the further development of civilization, you know. I dreamed a dream once, and in time that dream slipped away. But some news landed in my feed recently that makes me think, God damn it, we can turn this thing around. Chinese scientists developed a a carbon nanotube material that won't break under the weight of more than 800 tons. This was the main thing preventing our capacity to build a space elevator. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. We now have the capacity to build a beautiful beautiful series of structures that will reach into... that will reach like Prometheus into the heavens and will give us the capacity to not only increase shipments to and from space at a regular basis. You don't have to send rockets up. You send climbers up. You, do, you have them going up and down all the time. <laughs> and that this way, we can actually offload all of our nuclear waste and build a shit ton of nuclear power plants. <laughs> Without any fear of environmental contamination and repercussions, and we can we can save this system, and also I mean we can have elevators that go into fucking space. Yeah, I've always it's been possible. On board with the space elevators. Yeah, I'm down. So I mean I think I think that you know I think that it's possible that you know maybe the right things will come together, and we can maybe have the techno. Luxury automated communist future with space shit that you know our affiliated publication its entire aesthetic is based around. So this gives me hope. Oh my god! And this get this gives me hope for a new year and for a bright uh, space-based proletarian future. Yeah, space isn't just for you know Elon Musk and Joey Fatone. I forget which one. One and we space. owe it. We owe it to. Our Donga's comrades um, mm. in the east, 
we owe it to China um, and the Chinese, the great proletarian uh. nation, for developing uh. this technology. <laughs> They could bring us back <laughs> to the the, the utopian the utopian future that the Soviet Union promised us. Yeah, foreign worker state with socialist characteristics. <laughs> you can't see me right now, but I'm crying. Okay, that's all I have. That's all I have. <laughs> well, space elevator. I mean, it was in Civ Four, so I just assumed it was real, but now it is real. Thanks, in, um, thanks, the G. In, uh, one of the sequels, the 2001 Space Odyssey too. Oh yeah. So wait, J- yeah. Jake, was your idea? That we're gonna just throw all that nuclear waste into the sun, basically. Yeah. Isn't there an Arthur C. Clarke book that where we accidentally accelerate the heat death of the universe by feeding <laughs> the sun a bunch of trash? Wait, how, like the sun's. Like, here's the thing: the sun is really fucking big, <laughs> and it can take that. You know, like there's that. You have any idea how much we'd have to like throw at that thing for it to be a problem? For yeah. sure. And that's a problem. Uh, you that's know what? Problem. You're, you're probably right, but I'm sure there was a point where we said that about the sky. And, I mean, uh-huh. you sure? How much of this fucking, how much of this fucking smoke would we have hey, to pump into the sky? Get that hippie shit out of here. Get that hippie shit out of here. Okay, we're, we're, we're going to build this thing. Gonna, I'm not saying we shouldn't it. build the we're elevator. Futuristic high tech communism. We're going to have a world workers republic. We're going to start out with a high tech new economic policy. Then we're going to to build the forces of production in a planned, rational way, and it's going to be good. Degrowth is over, baby. Full modernist, <laughs> technocratic futurism. Yeah, it's back on. Twenty eighteen. We're back. We're back, baby. Let's, I'm throwing. Let's do I'm it. throwing. I got. I'm throwing my go bag in the garbage. I'm getting rid of all that camping gear I bought. <laughs> I'm like, back on board. Books, you know what, Jake? Jake, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad. I'm back on board. Jake, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm plugged in. I'm plugged into the Matrix again. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Thank God, Jake. Welcome back. Welcome all right. to the Red uh, All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, ha- yeah. I mean, I'll, here's the thing. I know it's, you know, colonials tell it, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But you know Genocide what? is bad. No, no, Day listen. Thanksgiving was yeah. originally made to give thanks to the Union soldiers who were oh, kicking right, the yeah. South's ass. This I mean, is actually I, I, a radical holiday. Uh, it's just been appropriated by the colonialist uh, legacy. No, I'm, pr- I'm you, pretty sure it was a colonialist holiday that got appropriated by the re- the you know Republican legacy during the Civil well, War. Let's, well, no, let's take a first Thanksgiving was held by Abraham Lincoln. That's what Wikipedia says. I I'm pushing, don't take I'm Wikipedia as a final source. No, listen, Donald's line here. I'm standing behind Donald. I think that that should be doctrine for the show, even if it's not true. We got to print the legend. Yeah, exactly. And take this holiday back. I am not a Sorellian, god damn it. I just think he's (laughs) right about why everyone has a daddy fetish for Lennon. That's all. We have to take this holiday back because fuck it, a day off is a day off. And we need to stand our ground and not let this neoliberal identity politics bullshit take our workers' earned free time away from us. Fuck that. Fuck that. Happy, happy, uh, we should, uh, I don't know, happy, like, what should it's we call it? It's the Confederate killing holiday, okay? It's, Come on, look. Yeah. It's we, Thanksgiving. We, we, we He's have, giving thanks to the Union troops. We, ha- we, have to answer, we have to answer for the genocidal nature of American nationalism. We can still blah, take the blah. day off. No, fuck you. We should still take the day off, but we have to name it something cool. Like, well, yeah, we'll, call, we'll talk about the Union shit. That's what I'm saying. Like, nah, we just emphasize that. Like, call it Emancipation Day or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there we I go. Mean, there's also a different, like, Emancipation Day. But, like... The point well, we is have two. the point is is that like I don't think you can get rid of the original context. You just have to res- do a communist response within that context. Like I don't know, like there's no real way to just like honor 
indigenous people correctly because this the country like eliminated them. But when I when uh-huh. I like I don't know if you go to like Berkeley, California or something, they rename Columbus Day Indigenous Peoples Day, and that might seem like a kind of eye rolly PC thing. But I still think like in terms of targeting oppressive customs, those are the things that you do want to change. <laughs> like eventually, you do want to change like the meaning of Thanksgiving. We we do have to like account well, for that. We got we can't do it by a, being a douchebag at the at Thanksgiving dinner. But like first of all, I mean. I'm going to be douchebag at Thanksgiving dinner no matter what. Might as well do it in a way that promotes communism. One. Two. Okay, I mean, USA. Okay, Donald has a counter narrative ready to rock and roll, and it's already on Wikipedia, so we don't even need to rewrite the <laughs> yes, page. Yes, exactly. So I don't, know what the hell, I don't know what the hell you think we can come up with instead. I don't know, you know but why, this is why I'm not a Sorellian. This is why I am a why, scientific Why don't you socialist. hustle harder than you You are hate. right. He's right about why everyone has a daddy fetish for him. Lenin right. is legit awesome, so I'm still going to have a daddy fetish for him. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm just saying that, like, if, if also Lincoln, Lincoln's cool. Too. I love I no, no, no. Right, Lincoln's cool by me. But listen, like, we 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 do have to eventually grapple with the character of American nationalism. When we say when people say that, like, the concept of America is basically something you can't, I don't know, like reconstruct in a communist image that you have to get rid of it. Is because yeah. is because of its genocidal origins. Oh yeah, Jason Kai. That's what that's really the, <clears throat> the rational kernel of settlers by Jason Kai. Right. Is that and the United States as an entity will have to be destroyed in revolution. Any proper communist response has to deal with that, and so that's the spirit in which I object to an uncritical celebration of Thanksgiving. That being said, I like gluttony, so. There's nothing wrong with gluttony. Here's my thing, okay? We got a day off is a day off. I'm not complaining about there being a holiday. I'm Uh complaining about celebrating genocide. You can find a a good reason to do Thanksgiving. Like, well, first of all, no one who's celebrating Thanksgiving. I mean, I, say, I shouldn't say no one. You shouldn't say but no one. I feel one like I my, most people who are celebrating Thanksgiving aren't like. Good thing we cleared these Indians out so we can have this bounty. Thank you, Lord. You know what I mean? You, like, haven't, you clearly you haven't been to dinner at my uncle's house. All right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> oh God, it's so okay. depressing. You know, I'm trying to end, I'm trying to end on vibes of positivity <laughs> here. Yeah, come on. Let's, now, let us have let's, let us have our. Um, hey, look, I was very thankful before, but I wasn't full of shit. All right. Like, I I do like having a day off. So let's let's get more days off. In fact, let's get all of them off. Yeah, I think that's something we can all agree on. 